1: Welcome to Lama Surya Awakening Now podcast. This podcast is an expression of our shared connection. We depend on you, our community of listeners for support. Please go to mindpodnetwork.com/suryadas and you can either click on the donate button or bookmark the Amazon link. We get a small percentage of all of your purchases. Or you can go and sign up for a free trial with audible.com. Your support will allow Lama Suryadas to continue to illuminate the timeless Tibetan wisdom.
2: So, sky gazing. Eyes open, whether you're sitting or standing or walking or lying on your back or any other posture. Remember Buddha's famous statement, there are four main positions for cultivating mindfulness. Buddha didn't use the word meditation, he called it cultivating awareness. Sitting, standing, walking and lying down, that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? In other words, any position is opportunity or the time for mindful awareness. Sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. Not just sitting with your eyes crossed, and your fingers crossed, and your legs crossed, hoping to get enlightenment. So sitting, standing, walking, and lying down, the idea, the moral of the story is any position. If he was alive today, he'd probably include um, jogging, swimming, and most importantly, texting thumbing (laughs) what an opportunity for mindfulness otherwise you get lots of typos like my texts my excuse is fat fingers (laughs) oh poor old buddha But he doesn't mind. So, as we're sky gazing, incandescently present and lucidly, luminously aware, yet somehow empty or empty of preoccupations, we're not overly invested in what happens, seeing through, while momentary, impermanent, transitory, Ownerless, Selfless, ownerless, ungoverned phenomena and noumena or mind stuff. Just watching the show, like sitcom, like movie, like mirages, like dreams, like fantasies and so forth. Seeing through appearances, just like on Halloween. When you see people coming down the street, when you see skeletons coming down the street carrying their shopping bags, you don't get too scared because you understand what's going on. You see skeletons, but you don't. Think, you get worried that their dead, dead kids are coming to your door. You fill their bag with junk food. Like a good citizen. But maybe you, maybe you take your, your three or four-year-old out, and they get scared because they don't see through the costume. You with me? That's the meaning of emptiness. That's why emptiness is a bad translation, shunyata. Subjectivity. Mystery, not what it seems to be. Of course, it's a skeleton costume. But the, the the three-year-old, four-year-old hasn't gotten the idea, learned costume yet. They just understand that maybe they learn, you know, see bones and they get scared, or witch, or monster, or whatever. But when you do get the concept of costume. That it's emptiness dressed up in drag, all of this phenomena. That's technically precise. Then you see through it at the same time that you see it. You have like double vision. That's the absolute vision that things, that it's, you know, not what it seems to be. It's not a threatening, scary monster or witch or, you know, pirate or I don't know what it would be today, you know, serial killer. it's not a skeleton it's a happy thing you can enjoy everything the scary and the beautiful not just the beautiful costumes of life so seeing through is the essence here of the first step on the eightfold path, right? wisdom or clear vision or wise seeing, whatever you want to call it Right, wise view Seeing through, shunyata, emptiness, things are not what they seem to be. Then beyond liking and disliking, just enjoying the show. Oh, Halloween. And then the better the costumes, the crazier, the scarier, the funnier, the more shocking the costumes, the better, which is the tantric way of seeing things. Not trying to make it all very simple and white clothes or, you know, yellow, whatever. Whatever. Tantric, everything is it. The more outrageous, the better. Then you can see it's just costume, it's just magician's show, it's just display. These are all technical words in Tibetan. Seeing everything as mere display of the mind, or 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 uh, dance, divine dance, dance of the Dharmakaya, and so on. The better the costumes, the you know, it's like the Easter parade. The better the floats, the better the parade. Not every float comes along the same, you know, just like cream cheese. The more cheese flavors, the better. The cheese shop, the better the cheese board. So not trying to iron it all out, make it all the same in some oversimplistic idea of oneness or one taste. One taste means appreciating everything, appreciating the entire show, because you recognize it all, see through it all, just like with the analogy of Halloween night. So, in this practice, we have basic principles of Dzogchen view and non-meditation. Remember, Dzogchen's always explained according to the view, the meditation and the action. From the view of things as they are, just as they are, comes the meditation of non-meditation, getting used to it or leaving it as it is, not purifying it, not purifying it, not transforming it, seeing through, leaving it as it is. All of these are just rough words, pointers. From the view of the great perfection or the lawful unfolding, the the... the how it is, reality, as it is. That's the definition of reality according to Buddhism, as it is. We're not going to argue about what truth is. We call it, you know, uh, like reality, as it is. And then from that view or outlook, not opinions, not dritti, but darshan in Sanskrit, not dritti opinions or views, but the view, the bigger perspective, the big picture, Prajna, the open wisdom eye, the th- open third eye, the open wisdom eye of prajna, of non-conceptual awareness, of wise, the dif- wise understanding, the first step on the A4 path, comes the meditation of non-meditation, of leaving it as it is, rather than interfering, rather than trying to purify. From this point of view, even the lower yanas, the original, the, lo- the lesser um, teachings or practices, the more gradual practices, by the way, safer, gradual practices, uh, what You know, like purification, we're not practicing in this context of the Dzogchen meditation. Of course, in life, we very well may. Or while we're practicing Vajrasattva or other practices to round out our spiritual life, we may. Or fasting or other things. But here, we're not purifying. That would be tampering with reality. We're not transforming. That would be tampering with reality. We're not seeking enlightenment. We're enjoying the view. Nothing more to do, as the masters say. Whether demons appear or Buddhas appear. Not getting scared and depressed, not getting elated. One taste. Appreciating everything as it is, like in the floats going by in the parade. The scary floats or the beautiful floats. Just seeing through it. Enjoying the magical display. Not getting scared. Not you know running after the beautiful, I don't know what, Hawaiian mermaid floats. <laughs> not getting freaked out when some horror house float, or battle of Stalingrad float comes by. (laughs) And remembering also that you're not just a witness on the curb, you're one of the floats too, a floater. The idea of you. Transpersonal being, or no-self, or shunyata dressed up in drag. So you might as well adorn yourself. Look as good and feel as good as you can. Why not? Since you have to feel something. You're alive. So principles of this practice. Of course, awareness. We've talked about that. We're hammering on that. Aware. This non-meditation and yet flowing, not rigid. Flow, and spontaneous, I guess that goes with flow, but maybe not. Spontaneous flow, not just effort and diligence, which is another kind of flow. Spontaneous, how are we doing, Christopher? Spontaneous flow, and spontaneity, flow, naturalness, which we mentioned so many times, but it's not that, it's simple, but it's not that easy to understand, It doesn't mean trying to do nothing, that's just one more effort based on some kind of ego strategy with hopes of results. You know, just because you have a day off doesn't mean the best thing to do is stay in bed all day. Trying to do nothing is just one more ego strategy, one more karmic effort, and it has its own results, like depression. Staying in bed all day is called depression, not vacation. So naturalness and um, I can't pronounce that big word at the end that Christopher put there, but you, you know, you can look it up in the dictionary, perspicacity. Because there's a quality of intelligence in this, of, of seeing through, of sharpness, of knowing something. Perspicacity is like insightful. is where the insight is. You're not just sitting there dumb and empty. My own... Chen Master, one of the great explainers of Zogchen Tukur Rinpoche used to say, it's not just an empty room, this emptiness, this this empty awareness. It's like a sunlit room lit by brilliant cognizance. That's why we call it lucid centerless openness, not just open, not just centerless, not just empty. Like a sunlit room. And clarity. There's a kind of precision or clarity, not dull, vague, spaced out. And the sense of allowing, the principle of allowing. Not trying to get things in shape and fix it that way, like... Concentrate on something and then hold that concentration like a holding pattern not just visualizing something and then trying to maintain that visualization. So it's not a, based on concentration, more in the natural concentration being interested or paying attention. So these are some of the principles of Dzogchen that distinguish it from most other meditations. Of course, um, non-dual, this kind of Mahamudra is very similar. so you can see how this relates to your practice and use it as a guide to see if you're fabricating, if you're comparing or trying to think, you know, oh, is this this meditation session so much worse than the one I had this morning. I wish we could push the rewind button and have that one again. You know how the mind works. Or other things that we fall into, deviations from the view. We'll talk about that tomorrow, if I remember. It's got to the point where I have to make notes about what I want to talk about. Any questions, please?
3: Um, I'm um, sort of focusing on the, uh, I'm not talking about going home later in the week, but I'm focusing on how we carry this through the day. We sit here, we experience the naked awareness, uh, uh, the non-conceptual. and. Um, and we leave and we go to lunch or we go to breakfast you're going way too fast what happens when the gong
2: rings and then you start to stand up and then you turn around and then you start walking out and then you you know what happens we haven't even got out the door I increase my pace yeah so you start elbowing people at the door (laughs) yes (laughs) um so what happens to the naked awareness experience or the letting be or the well, nowhere to go and nothing I'm, to do? That's your question, right? I, Since there's somewhere to go and something to do. Maybe you have to go to the potty. Maybe you go in the next activity like lunch or whatever it is.
3: Yes. Um, can I use this analogy? For example, if my <coughs> daughter, daughter or granddaughter, if they're feeling ill or if my granddaughter is having a big test and uh, six, six, 16 years old, and she's having a big test that day or something, well, I think about her and want to be there sort of with her and give her support, and, and one of the things I do is I uh, visualize uh, her, who she is, I mean, her physical appearance and so forth, and I get right into, that's conceptual, I know, and it's compounded. Um, but thinking about um, <clears throat> carrying the view during the day. I mean, for example, I was in a dentist chair a couple of weeks ago. Have you,
2: are we finished with the story about your
3: granddaughter? Because I didn't totally no, get the point. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the point now. Okay. And I was having a root canal, and I figured now's the time for the view. <laughs> And you know, it's a it's a good no, up it, there. It's no pain. As a, what's the word? Anesthetic. It definitely has anesthetic no, effect. It's no pain, just a lot of suffering. <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, I really tried that. Yeah, did and it work? It, well, it was beginning to sort of work, but there was so much activity in and out of your mouth. You know how that goes, and that sort of thing. It's very, very distracting. <laughs> but really, what I'm getting at is that. If I can uh, put a compounded, I mean, I remember my granddaughter's uh, face. I can remember the view later in the day. And remembering the view, I understand, is, you know, one of the better things to do. But if I can even put a compounded view in my mind, then I can sort of relax and let that dissolve and go into it. That's the secret. that's what I'm asking this. There is no
2: relative practice, Marvin. You should think of your granddaughter. It's, it's really hard to rest in the view when that mean dentist is digging in there, you know, with their undextrous hands. I know, yeah. <laughs> just really <laughs> right. making a mess in your poor mouth. But if you think of your granddaughter. Right, right. So that's the right time to do that you know compounded or relative or like fabricated practice because trying to rest in the view is just as fabricated okay okay so think of your granddaughter as the view
3: it's very yeah natural sure, yeah so but if, <laughs> if this I'm... is
2: a very important point and because we have skeptics here who aren't getting this i'll say every uh, vajrayana master will say think of your guru's face mm-hmm. Or think of your yidam's face. Yes. Yes. So is that not a fabricated practice? They'll say, think of your guru's face when you're dying. They don't say rest in the view. Because it's easier for most people to feel inspired and home and present and aware. So there's really no relative practice. It's all, you know, skillful means. Including trying to rest in the view. So do what you have to do. And then you said it dissolves itself or it releases or something. You know, it works. So if it works, it works. That's the, that's the secret.
3: And resolve and so forth. Or fading into the uncompounded. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. And, but don't try to fade it out.
2: You know, the, the, the nature of all conditions is the unconditioned. Right. So it, let's say yes. the nature of the compounded is uncompounded. Yeah. You don't have to transform it, fade it out, dissolve it. Right. Yeah. Okay? Thank so you you. that's a subtle point. That's a good That's yeah, why we don't hold back from doing anything yeah. in the Zogchen right. way of thinking or tradition. Relative pra there's no notion of relative practices.
4: Right
3: thank you
2: That's i mean like we have an altar we have candles we have a meditation we have silent we have vegetarian everything we're doing is relative practice including you know t- talking and teaching and thinking and but um it's very hard to do absolute practice there's no doing so you have to do something you know i've often said this when you go to the zen men, you know A a retired professor came to the Zen master and said, "What is with all of these rituals and all?" And the Zen master said, "Have tea." So the so the professor went home and he tried to have tea, but because he was against rituals and forms, and that was he didn't want to have you know he didn't think he needed um, water to have tea. He was just going to have tea. He didn't think he needed a pot. He didn't think he needed heat. He said, the master said, have tea. He didn't say, have a whole ritual of uh, putting all these things together. You know, and the other parts, and a cup. Just have tea. Okay, if you can, you know, sink your teeth into the shunyata and nothing else, if you have such vajra teeth. Otherwise, you need to sink it into some kind of juicy fruit.
3: I get your message, but isn't like that a typical clear, like Hm? I said I get your message, but isn't that a typical professor well i'm not I'm talking to everybody, and i'm just making
2: up a Zen story for you. No, there's another Zen story about a professor that now needs to be told about how professors are so full of it. I mean, we're just picking on professors now. We could pick on lawyers or whatever you are, you know, psychiatric nurses, but we can pick on musicians, just looking around to see the guilty ones, whatever you are, artists, you know. This is a traditional Zen story about how professors are full of it, but the moral of the story is it's not all about what's in your head, of course, and you have to empty out or, you know, to get something new. So, um, the Zen, I don't know how it happened. Let's let's put it this way. The Zen master or the, invited the student for tea who was a professor and the Zen master did a little tea thing, and then was pouring tea into the professor's cup, and it started to overflow. and The and the professor said, "You know, pay attention. Aren't you mindful? The cup's overflowing. Mindfulness is the essence." As it says in, and he recited a whole list of books and teachings to the master. And the master said, "Similarly, your mind is overflowing." We, don't, we can we're not we there's no point pouring more into your mind right now <laughs> We have to empty it out a little <laughs> That's a real Zen story About prof- picking on professors, but it's really picking on we who rely on the mind or too much You know over intellectual live in our heads
5: questions, please when you mentioned perspicacity and you mentioned uh, sun into the room. The sunlit room, not right, just the empty right, room. Right, right, right. Uh could you say something about uh this image I've seen and heard about and I think you may have referred to with um some setup of the the water with the window being transparent, the waters reflecting the sun onto the mirror. I don't
2: know show. what you're talking about. Sure Too complicated. Just look at the river and let and watch it flow up river. Watch the you know river, the ice, whatever in shape it's in. flow up river half the day and down river in the other half of the day. That's enough. In the sunlight, with the mirror-like nature of mind, that you'll be covered. Just look at the river. You don't even have to go out there to look at it. You can look out, out the window. You don't even have to look out the window and you can see it in your mind, can't you? Everybody knows what's going on, what the rivers look like. Like Marvin was saying, he, can, he visualizes his granddaughter. We don't understand very well about visualizing. You don't really, visualizing isn't painting by picture. You can just call it into mind. You can, you know, be in the presence of. Like your mother. Everybody remember their mother? You have to visualize her to see her face or something. I doubt it. So don't make it complicated.
5: No, this is this is more about. So
2: even the in the mind, you know, even <laughs> like without go, do, going anywhere, doing anything about all those parts you said, putting together the sunlight and the mirror and all, just in the, the with your eyes closed, the the. Shimmering behind your eyelids
5: could be yeah, it's enough. not so much about a, a need to uh, conceptualize it's more okay. that the image seems very uh much like the image of a sunlit room to me, and i I just don't have uh you've spoken before I think about the mirror shows reflects and doesn't hold on. Or maybe that was the other Surya. <laughs> And uh, that's coming to mind. And so I'm saying. These are all just, uh,
2: you're mentioning different metaphors or
5: analogies of
2: the nature of mind. Right. You know, like -like mirror-like awareness. The mirror reflects clear, the magic mirror of mind reflects everything clearly but doesn't hold on to it. And yet, in the relative world, it might depending on causes and conditions. Can you think of an example where it might... We say the mirror reflects clearly whatever comes before it, like a crystal shows the color through it or something, but doesn't hold on to it. But in the relative world, what if a paintbrush comes right before it? Then the paint gets stuck on it. So, you know, that's the difference between the absolute, which is like empty, transparent, not fixed, and the relative, which has its cause and effect. Same with the crystal. We're talking about the transparent crystal and how if light comes through, it refracts colors. Otherwise, it seems colorless, right? Can we all agree on that? Colorless? What color is it now? Now if you're a wise guy or girl, you're going to say colorless, but if you're a child, you're going to say red, because it looks red. You didn't get it yet about crystals and costumes and windows and mirrors, right? But what if you put the crystal in paint? Then it will be stuck with the color. So that's like the relative world, the mind bent out of shape, the mind obscured, the mind corrupted by and, you and know, polluted. I don't know what would be a good example of that—the totally insane person. Not that the nature of mind is corrupted, but the, you know, the crystal is covered or or riddled with impurities so much so that it t- can't function properly. That's all. It's about essence or nature and function. You keep those in mind. So that's why those who believe. In emptiness, oh, what, what did Nagarjuna say? Those who men- believe in material reality are sad and mistaken, but those who believe in emptiness are much more pathetic. <laughs> By the great Buddhist philosopher Nagarjuna, because they can't, you can't help them. You try to give them a hand, and they say no hand. <laughs> and no pit to get out of. Okay. <laughs> it's a, too much emptiness. It's a disease people get. You can see it in the Dharma scene or in one's health, like nihilism. Questions, please. Yes.
4: I, I spoke to Drew actually about this once too. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't do it that often, but when I do, where are you, Judy? Oh, um, I see, get this.
2: The, the answer is closer than you think.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm I in a good mood. it's
4: a strange heat. Um, it feels like a fever. And
2: uh, Yes. Uh, yeah. That's much discussed. Um, I never teach you without mentioning that, just so you know that it's not just your, your you know, I don't know, hot flashes or something.
4: <laughs> Could be hot flashes. But it actually feels very uncomfortable. Ah. And, you know, I start sweating in my armpits and... Um, I want to get away from that
2: feeling. Is that uncomfortable?
4: That, that Sweating? Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, don't you sweat, I don't know, when you work out or do other things that you like? Not, you don't feel it's uncomfortable, so why are you thinking it's uncomfortable? When we practice these exercises, we are working with the inner incandescence, the inner heat, the mystic heat, the chakras and channels, Tumo, the hot mother,
4: Well, I guess my question is... So we're trying to get
2: warmed up and melt the frozen places and loosen the knots in the chakras and channels. So heat is one way to do it, heat and light and energy. Like if you do intense breathing, you get hot, right?
4: Yeah.
2: Or if you get hot, you start panting and have intense breathing because those Mm -hmm. are related. So is that uncomfortable?
4: (laughs) I guess my confusion about it is like, if I have this experience now, what I would, What do I do with that?
2: Yeah. Um, right. So that's how it develops into You Like you spread it and you raise it, also heat rises by itself. So it rises up the central channel, it opens it, flowers the different chakras and channels to the big flowering of Kundalini awakening. So that's part of the, you know, if you get into the details of yoga. Practice. Thank you. So I'm asking to ask you again, just to think about why you find that uncomfortable, because that's like what's supposed to happen. So sweating doesn't sound too painful. You know, if you said you had cramps, that's different. But sweating, you could do it with less clothes on or something, or do it outside in the snow, like Tibetan yogis do.
4: Anything else? Yes. So, my question is it's easier for me to drop doership when we're in the rest of the day than sitting in particular. Mm-hmm. So, I find that it's easier for me to inhabit the non dual state everywhere else but here. Really? Yeah. Then, why do you keep coming here? No, no. I mean, in the context of retreat, in other words, it's like
2: I know, but I'm, I'm asking a real question based on city. what you're saying. I don't entirely believe what you're saying, but um, go on. Let's just proceed with your way of thinking. Then why, why do you believe in this and keep coming here or practicing it or studying it and well, I've know, struggling?
4: It seems like it may be because I've trained in different traditions and I've read about what should happen in meditation. Uh-huh. That's one side of it or one flavor. Another flavor of it is: it seems like it's easier to drop doership when you're actually doing things in a way if you have the right awareness. It could be, but it could
2: be that you're losing yourself but you're not finding your transpersonal being. you know the saying is and you you seem to be well read and studied in these things so the saying is, Losing yourself, meaning with a small s, and finding your true, experiencing your true self with a capital S. But most people are lost to themselves, so that's not the same. Not to be judgmental, how about most drunk people who pass out are lost to themselves? That's not the same as losing yourself and finding your true self. It's a little lacking in perspicacity, clarity, awareness, uh, you know, et cetera, and other qualities, right? Consciousness, et cetera. So these are subtle things you're talking about, but I'm not saying it's not true what you're saying. I just think that it's easy to fool oneself and to be lost in life, like lost in thoughts. As you know, as an experienced meditator, Bruce, many people who just start meditating, and we all started sometime, we probably we may have had this experience. You're meditating, you learn to meditate, you try to meditate, but all you feel is like you think now you're thinking even more. You think you're supposed to think less, but you're thinking even more. Anybody have this experience? Or even now? <laughs> You know, if you were out jogging your, I don't know, 10 miles in the morning, you probably wouldn't be thinking as much as you're thinking sitting on your cushion. Maybe. But is jogging the ultimate practice? I mean, that's a live question. Maybe it is. But also you can't be, you know, in that state of extreme sport, intense breathing and effort all the time, 24 hours a day, unless you know how to Like Martin was saying, you know, integrated, off the cushion, how do you have that extreme sport in life when you're not jogging and, you know, every breath is like your full activity? Or mountain climbing, or anybody do skin diving or even snorkeling? You know, that feeling where every breath is your full activity. It's a great natural meditation. it's, it's, It's much harder to sit here and try to keep your mind on your breath, every breath. But when you're snorkeling or skin diving... That's almost all you hear. It's like every breath is like 90% of the activity or the, or the awareness. It's terrific for that. So that could be a great practice. But I, I would guess that um, you're a little bit losing touch with yourself in daily life. And that's why it feels that way, you know. Like you could get real busy and forget about and not think about yourself, but that doesn't mean you're really actualizing
4: your true self. I mean, it could. It wasn't exactly what I meant. What I meant was, in the context of retreat settings, I find the one-taste experience is much more likely to unfold than I'm able to... When you're walking
2: around or outside? of it, right. Okay. That's a little different than what
4: yeah. I heard or understood
2: you say. But it still applies. But um, on the other hand, let's take the positive side. I feel if I... Uh, go outside and look at the river, that that's better for me than sitting inside trying to meditate. So you can interpret that in many ways. Maybe it's because it's so light and cold outside that you're more vividly present and less sleepy and dreamy. Maybe it's because it's so beautiful that you're naturally watching it and not thinking about other things, I don't know. Maybe it's because nature is the original form of spirituality in every part of the world, and everything that's come since has been like added on to that. You know what I'm saying? So uh, maybe you need to, it would be good to really explore Challenge yourself to really like stop meditating and just do your um, natural meditation. What should we call it? If I call it wandering around, it sounds like pejorative. you know do your natural meditation. why come in here and try to do natural meditation if it's not if it 's so crappy, and the people sitting around you are bothering you you didn 't mention that part i 'm just imagining see what I'm saying? but you know there's a lot of interpretations we could add in here for example when you're outside alone there's no other egos around bothering you so part of being here together is learning to be in a way um, unbothered by the other egos you know what I'm talking about? you know how easy it is to be alone in nature but not so easy to be, I don't know, you know, at some party or some crowd or, or or with a few people, pushing you this way and that. So in nature, you know, it sounds good to go in nature, and that's great, and it's a great practice we need most of us because we live such busy lives. But um, it's a little too easy after a while because there's no other egos to deal with so your ego doesn't arise or another worse way of saying your ego is in total charge anyway i'm just poking around here i think maybe you could consider stop meditating in the in this formal way and and really follow your intuition which you brought up about how I think you said you're enjoying or you're experiencing non-dual awareness um, most of the time, more than when you're sitting here, okay, than when you're sitting on the cushion. You won't be missing anything. And then when you come for a private interview, we could talk more about, you know, you can get some clarification. Don't feel like you're missing anything, because every session I give the same instructions. What are the instructions? Just be. And then there's a few frills, which you've heard of many times, so you're not going to miss anything. Well, here's another alternative: just come in the beginning in the, in, this, in the I don't know what that's the balcony, so you can hear my precious instructions, and then go and and just you know be in the non-conceptual if you don't want to miss anything, because the rest of the time we're just going to be sitting here. See what I'm saying? And then come back at the end if you must, if you like, for the Dharma talk, or come in and have your seat, or sit in the balcony, or whatever. I'm not joking. Because I take very seriously what you said. If if you can live it. Yes. Why sit cross-legged like a pretzel with knee pain and back pain? You know, like, what did Emily Dickinson say? Why go to church when... I don't know, the whole woods is my cathedral and the bobolink is the parson singing the sermon. Why sit on an uncomfortable pew when the whole world is so much, you know, you can sit outside on the grass? But then for most of us we need to go sometimes somewhere special to remember that God is everywhere. Anyway, I hope we're communicating. I I like what you said. If you can live it, if you can practice it, that would be a good thing to do. But conceptualizing non-conceptual awareness or non-dual awareness is very tricky. I'm in it, I'm not in it. You know, we could get our our knickers in a twist, as they say in British Dharma. You don't want to get your knickers in a twist, right, Christopher? Christopher?
1: Thank you for listening to Lama Suryadas' Awakening Now Hour. We very much appreciate your support, and hope you will continue by going to mindpodnetwork.com/suryadas and link to the donate button, or go to the Amazon.com link for all of your purchases. Namaste.